Many of you know my testimony. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up in a bar. And Gina's dad was a preacher. My mom was a prostitute. Gina grew up in church. I grew up in a bar. Gina came to Jesus when she was seven years old at a revival at her dad's church. I came to Jesus when I was 17, locked up, looking at five years in the penitentiary. Took the same blood of Jesus to save us both. Amen. We were both lost. And so... I was already out preaching. I'm a little bit older than Gina. Not, not as older as I look than Gina, but I'm, I'm a little bit older. And uh, I was already preaching. And I walked into a little country Baptist church. Everybody say, thank God for the Baptist. Amen. I was in a little country Baptist church in Oklahoma preaching to teenagers. And I looked over. We didn't have keyboards back then. We had pianos. Anybody remember back when we had pianos? I looked over on the piano. And there was this beautiful, dark-haired, dark-eyed, most beautiful young lady I'd ever seen in my life. And I asked somebody, who is that? And they said, well, that is the pastor's wife's little sister. And she's a senior at Oklahoma Baptist University, and she loves Jesus, and all she wants to do is travel all over the world and tell people about Jesus, and that's all she cares about. And when I heard that, the spirit of hubba hubba came on me. Amen? I said, hubba hubba. And six months later, two weeks later, I asked her to marry me. Six months later, we were married. We've been married 31 years now. Amen? 31 years. Honey, stand up and let them see how good God is. Amen? Isn't the Lord good? And the Lord's been so good to us. We have a wonderful family. We have four children. Our oldest daughter, Sarah, I think there's some pictures up here that are going to come up of Sarah's wedding a few years ago. Uh, That's when Sarah got married. That's my son-in-law, I live in Texas, and he has a man bun, so pray for me. Amen. But uh, that's Sarah and Tyler. And Sarah graduated from Bible college. She reads the Greek New Testament. She's a theologian, and she is right now about to go on staff at one of the large churches in the Metroplex as one of the children's pastors at the church at Pantego Bible Church. She loves Jesus. She's married to Tyler, and he's an architect. His dad was my associate pastor for 21 years. When Sarah was 13 years old, she came and said to me and her mom, I'm going to marry Tyler Schaefer. And he was five years older. He was older than her. And I said, well, that's good, sweetie. And she did. She married Tyler Schaefer. Her dad now is the one of the pastors at First Baptist Church in Dallas. And uh, they love Jesus with all their heart. They've just given us our first grandson named Theodore. And I get it now. You know, I, I used to didn't get it. Is Theodore up there? I used to didn't get it. I'd hear people talk about their grandkids, and they'd want to talk. I mean, I just, they would not shut up about their grandkids. And they'd show me pictures. And now I'm doing it here in church. I get it now. And uh, he's like my addiction, you know. I just love it. You know, my daughter, Sarah, I told you she's a Greek student, and so she wanted to name her son, you know, something special. Theo means God, and Dora means gift. Theodore is a gift from God, and he is. He's a year and a half old now, and I I think he's just the smartest one-and-a-half-year-old in the world, as far as I know. I think he is. Then we have our youngest son, Joshua. 
And there's a picture, I think, of Josh and Maddie, our youngest daughter. And Josh is out in Nevada all summer. He's already preaching the gospel. He preached a youth camp this summer. Kids came to know Christ. He's working with students. He sent me a picture yesterday of him and about 20 students in an IHOP. He was training them in evangelism, and they were about to hit the streets telling people about Jesus. He's a junior. He'll be a junior at Scarborough College. He's studying philosophy and apologetics and theology, the hand of God is on him. He's a great worship leader. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. He was at a youth camp like you guys. Listen, he grew up in church. Jesus was all around him, but not in him until he was 14 years old. And at a youth camp, like the youth camp that some of you went to at Christ for the Nations, God got a hold of his heart. God saved him. Two years later at another youth camp, he surrendered to preach and God's opening up doors. He's already preaching all over the country, and God's using him in a great way. That's Joshua. So Sarah and Joshua. And then we have our youngest daughter, whose name is Madison, and she's going to be 18 years old. This is her senior year. Last year at a public high school in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Maddie got up in front of her whole school, hundreds of students on the National Day of Prayer, preached the gospel, gave an altar call. Over 50 kids came to Christ. In the last two years... Maddie started a fellowship of Christian athletes in which an atheist, a Muslim, and over 50 of her other classmates have come to know Jesus. She already feels called to, to the ministry, and she's going into her senior year in high school. She's doing an internship next summer with a great ministry, and then she's off to the university where no doubt she will either be uh, the next great missionary or the dictator of a third world country. I mean, she's going to do something great. Amen. So we have Joshua. He's a preacher. And we have Sarah. She's a theologian and a church staff member. And then we have Maddie. And she's a great evangelist. And then we have a son named Dylan. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that if you train up a child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. Dylan was always a different kind of little boy. He was our first son, my first son, and so I loved Dylan with all my heart. He was daddy's boy. He, he looked different. He had Blonde hair and blue eyes. All of our other kids look like us. They're dark-headed and dark eyes. And there was always something special about Dylan. Dylan, from his little childhood, was always very artistic, very creative. Didn't want to do a lot of the things that we associate with normal other little boys. Never wanted to play ball. Never wanted to really wrestle and be physical. Dylan had all other kinds of interest. And we knew that. We knew that. Dylan had a different bent, but we just said, you know, this is the way the Lord has made our son very creative, very artistic, and God has a great plan for him. And so like our other kids, grew, Dylan grew up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and we loved him. And we've always just tried to soak our kids in love, in the love of Jesus and love of mom and dad, and always been very open. And But as Dylan got older, when our other kids made Commitments to Christ, I think Sarah was six or seven years old, and Maddie was young, and 
Josh, as I said, really came to know the Lord when he was 14, but he made a commitment to Christ early and was baptized. But Dylan never really seemed to get it. He never really seemed to have any kind of interest really in the things of God. And this, of course, concerned us, and we loved him and prayed for him and talked to him. We've always been a family that had times of prayer together. We talked very openly our whole life. Listen to me. I'm not a religious guy. I don't have a religious bone in my body. I just love Jesus with all my heart. I'm not religious. Some lady asked me not long ago. I was talking to her about Jesus, and she turned to me. She mean-mugged me and said, why don't you go to hell? I said, I can't. I'm, I'm saved. Amen. I mean, I can't. I can't go home with you, amen? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know. Then she got real mad. She said, what are you, some kind of religious nut? I said, I might be, but I'm screwed onto the right bolt, man. He's changed my life. So we've never allowed our kids to be, to be, you know, soured by religion. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life go to church every Sunday. So we have tried to save our kids from religion and from trying to cram Jesus or cram the Bible down their throat. We just wanted them to grow up seeing parents who loved each other, who loved Jesus, who loved all kinds of different people, who were very open and very welcoming Pastor told you about our church they were part of. We called it a BMW church. It was black, Mexican, and white. Amen. A third white, a third Hispanic, a third African-American, a lot of Asian people. We didn't have anything in common except Jesus, and that was enough. Amen. So our church and our family and our whole experience with Christ has always been very open and very loving, but Dylan never really seemed to be interested. Our kids went to Christian school. Dylan went to Christian school. He was bullied at Christian schools. We knew Dylan was different. When Dylan was 13 years old, he and Gina and I went to Starbucks. I go to Starbucks every morning. At 6 a.m., I'll be at Starbucks. It's where I get my Christian crack, amen? I mean, I just go there and I get it. So we were there just talking, and then Dylan said, I want to talk to you about something. Now, Dylan's always been highly, highly, highly intelligent. By far, all of our kids have excelled. All of them have won academic honors. All of them have been awarded publicly in front of their classmates for their achievements on the sporting field or in the classroom including Dylan. His senior year in high school, he won a national prize from Columbia University in New York. Outstanding journalist student in the top, the third highest 5A high school in Texas, like a blue chip athlete in the area of riding. So he's a smart kid. But when he was 13, he sat down with his mother and I and he said, I want you to know two things. Number one, I'm gay. And number two, I don't believe in any of this Jesus stuff. As Stephen said, I've been a professor for a long time. One of the things that I teach is apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. In other words, part of what I do is help people understand who Jesus is and why Jesus matters 
And my son said, I don't want anything to do. If Jesus existed at all, he was probably just a good teacher like Buddha or Muhammad, but there's nothing divine about Jesus. I looked at Gina and tears began to swell up and trickle down. As Dylan said, I'm not interested in following Jesus. As he said, I'm defining myself primarily by my sexual orientation. And he said, I plan to live a gay life. One day I'll get married. He said, that's who I am. And that's how I'm going to live. I smiled, hugged my son and said, son, I love you. I love you. But you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to understand yourself and your own self-definition primarily by sexual attraction or whether or not you believe that you're created in the image of God and that Jesus died for you and that Jesus has a great plan, greater plan for you than you could ever have for yourself. And he said, Dad, you don't understand. I've made that decision, and I'm just telling you about it. And for the next 10 years... We watched our son who we loved, my firstborn son. He has my name, Dylan Scott Camp. And we watched his life begin to unravel before our eyes. Dylan became more outspoken about his lifestyle. He became more militant. He began to hang with people who we knew we're not going to have a positive effect on his life. And then came smoking, and then came drinking, and then came battles with anorexia and bulimia, and then came institutionalized stay to save our son's life because he threatened suicide many times. I travel 48 weeks a year all over the world, and Gina and I don't get to be together most of the time. This is a rare kind of thing because it's summer that she's with me most of the time. I might be out in India in a jungle in a hut or I might be in Africa or I might be in the south. Your, your church has put us in a beautiful hotel. Sometimes we don't stay at beautiful hotels. Sometimes I don't stay at Motel 6. Sometimes I stay at Motel Point 6. Amen. I mean, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky somewhere. And amen. I'm just saying. And in the middle of the night, it's a beautiful, wonderful place, wonderful people. But in the middle of the night, all I can do is just get on my knees because sometimes the devil would be more real in that room than I am standing here. And the devil would come and say, you're a fool. Your kids are going to grow up and be bitter. You're never home. Your wife's having to be mom and dad. She's going to be bitter. Your son thinks you're a fool. 
You're wasting your life. What are you doing? This These people don't want to hear anything you have to say. Nobody even believes in the stuff that you're preaching anymore. All I could do was just get out of my bed and get down beside my bed on my knees and cry out, God, remember me. Lord, I love you. Many times when I was home, all Gene and I could do when we'd hear about another car that Dylan totaled or another class that he dropped out of or another problem that he had was hold each other in the middle of the night and cry out and weep together and say, God, don't forget us. Lord, you promised that if we would raise up our children in the way they should go, that when they are old, they'll won't turn away from you. And Lord, We're reminding you, we dedicated our son, Dylan, to you. He belongs to you, and we would remind God of his promises. And we would stand the best we knew how. Sometimes when you can't stand, you just fall on your knees, and sometimes when you crawl, you got to crawl toward God, and that's all we could do sometimes. Cry. I got a phone call one day from the jail near our, the town in which we live, and it was my son Dylan. And he said, Dad, I got arrested. And it was, wasn't really any big deal, Dad. I was just smoking dope with some friends in a park, and he said this officer came, and he was excessively forceful, and he threw me down, and he said it wasn't even that big of a deal, and he said he arrested me, and can you come get me out? And I said, I'll be there. I'm on my way right now. And like any dad, because I remember going through that same experience in my own life. And so the last thing I wanted was my son to be behind bars. And I went and got my son out, and my son began to fill me with all this story. of. And so we hired a lawyer, and we had the lawyer listen, and the lawyer said, you know, I don't think you really did sound like you don't really even have a case. And then Dylan began to explain the rest of it, how he had backtalked the officer and how it was really his fault, and the officer really wasn't excessive in force. The whole story came out. But my son laughed it all out and said, you know, everybody smokes dope nowadays, Dad. It's not that big a deal. And I was so praying that God would use that to bring my son to repentance. I took him out to lunch and said, Dylan, I'm telling you, God, the Holy Spirit is telling me to tell you that you must be born again, son. You need, can't you see that you're going the wrong way? And my son looked at me and said, Dad, you're a fool for believing that. I don't believe any of that. And once again, it was a broken heart. Two weeks later, I got another phone call. It was Dylan again, back in jail, for doing the same thing in the same park, arrested by the same officer. Look at me, listen. Sin will make you stupid. Amen. And my son said, Dad, can you come get me out? And everything in me wanted to say I'll be there. And the Holy Ghost of God said, you leave that boy right there. 
I called Gina and I said, Dylan, just call me. He's back in jail. And Gina said, where are we going to go get him? And I said, I can't go get him. And she said, are you sure? And I said, honey, the Lord's told me to leave him right there. The Lord's told me that he's working on Dylan. I had received a very powerful promise of God just a few weeks before in the form of a physical manifestation, a supernatural, and I'm not one of these guys that's odd for God. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not, you know, looking for signs and wonders. We don't follow signs and wonders, but they follow us as we follow Jesus. And through that, very personal, almost too unbelievable for me to tell you about. God said, I'm, I'm in control. Look at me. Oops is not in God's vocabulary. Amen. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to him? God's working it all out if we'll just trust him. Amen. And I said, honey, the Lord's told me just to leave him there. And the next day, we got a call from Dylan. He said, I, I was able to get out. Some guy came through, and if I signed this paper and promised to pay, he bailed me out, and I'm out. He said, could you just come get me? And I noticed a little change in his voice, a little softening. I think sometimes the reason God does not do what he's trying to do in the lives of people who we've been praying he would do something in is because every time God gets them in a place where he's trying to work on them, we run in and rescue them. The father loved his son, but the father did not go to the pig pen to get the boy out. The father waited patiently until the boy came to himself and came home. And when the man saw the son coming, he ran and embraced him. But he didn't go to the pig pen. Because sometimes God's right there in the pig pen. God is at work in the pig pen. And God was at work in our son's heart. I said, we'll be there in just about 15 minutes. We were just going to eat lunch, and Maddie's here, and Josh is here, and Mom, and we'll just swing by and pick you up, and we'll go out to eat lunch. We're going to our favorite little place. It's an outdoor Mediterranean place. And I said, we'll be there. And when Dylan got in the car, he didn't say anything. He just had his head down, and he didn't say anything on the ride, and when we got to the restaurant, he didn't say anything, and when we ordered our food, he, he said, I'm not really hungry. My son's not the emotional kind of kid. Even when he was a little boy, when he would get disciplined, he would not cry. He's defiant. Dylan doesn't really cry. He doesn't really show emotion. My son sat across from me at the restaurant, and I was just praying God do something in his life. And we were all sitting there, and I know everyone was making small talk, but everybody had a deep burden for Dylan. And I looked across the table, and my son began to bury his head in his hands and weep. 
silently and then and then a torrent of tears began to fall as my son's shoulders began to shake and my son through tears began to say dad I'm such a fool he said dad I'm the fool he said, I thought you and mom were so stupid and I thought you didn't know anything. And he said, I thought I had life all figured out. And then he said, Dad, I'm so lost. I'm so lost, Dad. I'm so lost. I looked over at Maddie and she was crying. I looked over at Josh. Josh just went into prayer. I looked over at Gina. She was about in shock and tears were rolling down her cheeks. And I said, son, are you ready to call upon the name of the Lord? And give Jesus your life. And my son began to shake his head. We pushed our food back. I said to the waiter, hey man, we're fine right now. And Dylan began to sob. And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. Listen to this. I said, son, can you say Jesus is Lord? And he couldn't say it. He could not physically say the words Jesus is Lord. And I said, son, have you been involved in the occult? He said, yes. I said, are there books and stuff in your room right now that are evil? Are there evil things in your room? And he said, yes. And I said, son, would you be willing to go and get all of that junk out of your room so that you can be free to call on the name of the Lord. And he said, yes. And I said, let's go right now. I want to check right now. We didn't touch our food. We got in our car. We drove as fast as we could right to our house. And my little 16, at the time she was 15 years old, Madison got out of the car. She said, I'm not afraid of any devil. She said, give me some trash bags, man. She went. Nobody wanted to, you know, I want to tell you this. Time after time after time in my anger, I wanted to tell my son, who at that time was 20, 21 years old, man, if that's the way you want to live, if you want to live that way, then get out of my house. I wanted to say it so badly, it would go over and over and in my mind, and then the Holy Spirit of God would say, listen, this is, this is, my, I, this is my house, and the Holy Spirit said, I will decide who gets to stay here and who doesn't get to stay here, and you just wait patiently. I'm doing something. I look back, and I'm so glad that I did not get in anger and, and destroy any kind of bridge that I had into my son's life. I'm so glad that I didn't look at my son and said, if you want to be a fag or if you want to be queer or if you want to live that kind of lifestyle, I never want to talk to you. I'm so glad God gave me a love for my son that just kept reaching out to him and loving him and kept the door open to my son. But we never wanted to go near his room. I mean, there was something that just, what he lived, we have a two-story house, he lived in one side, and and we never wanted to go there for one thing, you know, the the city, you know, was ready to come condemn our house because of his room. I mean, it was, you know, he never cleaned his room, he never could, you know, get it together in his room, and so he walked into his room and filled up two big, hefty trash bags full of garbage, full of demonic books and demonic things and all kinds of symbols and all kinds of skulls and everything. 
took him down to the curb. And I said, son, are you ready now to say Jesus is Lord? My son dropped to his knees, lifted his hands in the air, and said, Jesus, you are Lord, repented of his sins, asked Christ to come into his heart. Listen to me. That was two years ago. My son today is a totally different man who is serving God, who is loving Jesus. He lives on his own. He, has, he never could. Listen. He never could hold a job. He got fired. He couldn't focus. He wasn't in school. He didn't care. My son just had his first art show, sold six pieces. He's serving the Lord. Listen, every day he texts me different scriptures from, said, Dad, have you ever read this verse? Like, you know, John 3.16. No, son, I've never read. But I say, wow, isn't that amazing, son? That's incredible. I mean, now he's a witness. I've got a text on my phone that he sent me about three weeks ago. He said, Dad, a guy came into my shop today, and I don't know how this happened, Dad, but I just started telling him my testimony. I talked to him about Jesus. I got to pray with him. He said, Dad, isn't it wonderful serving Jesus? Amen. <laughs> Woo, praise God. Don't you ever give up on God. Don't you ever give up on God. I don't care how messed up your kids are right now. Don't you ever give up on God. I don't care how dark it looks. Listen, you can give up on them. I didn't. I, I gave up on Dylan, but I never gave up on God. Amen? Because my hope and my trust and my confidence and my faith was not in Dylan. I didn't say, well, Dylan's a good boy. Dylan wasn't a good boy. I didn't say Dylan will get it together. Dylan couldn't get it together. But I said, God is good and God is all powerful and God is the source of our faith. And, and God made us a promise that if we would train up our son in the way he should go, and we didn't do it always perfect, but we loved Jesus and we loved each other and we loved our kids, then and God, you, your credibility and your integrity is on the line because you're the one that made us this promise. And so I just dropped in tonight to tell you, I don't know where your kids are, some of your parents. I had a prodigal mama. I'm going to preach in the morning on my prodigal mama. You might have prodigal parents. Or you might have a prodigal husband, a prodigal wife. But I want to tell you, God is good. God is interested in your family. God wants to save your kids. God wants your, you and your household shall be. I want everybody to bow your head and everybody to close your eyes, please, all over this room. 